Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, it's Nikki Nellis. Welcome to another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Thanks so much for joining me today. If it's your first time tuning in, a quick little intro. I've been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. It's unbelievable. And it has gone through an explosion of things, not just the growth of the DC metro area, but obviously the last year has been incredibly interesting for the food, wine, and hospitality scene. So please always follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And you should definitely check out the listareyouwanted.com, my online e-zine that lists everything going on in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. For example, if you tune in tomorrow, you will find out that there are restaurants opening all the time. In fact, uh, La Gamela's is going to be opening in La Cocheca this weekend. Uh, this is from the Espita guys, so you know it's gonna be fabulous. St. Patrick's Day is coming up, so uh, I would get your orders in or get your tickets. There are so many virtual events and in-person events uh, that are happening, you know, scaled back, obviously, not uh, huge uh, 400 people in a room kind of thing. But if you want to get in on your Irish eyes smiling, the way to do it is find out everything that's going on, buy your tickets in advance, and be ready. Um, also, it's going to be time before you know it to set your Passover and Easter tables, if you do both or one or the other, however you do. But uh, again, you need to make those reservations, place those orders. Restaurants are really asking people and caterers to get those order, orders in earlier so they're better prepared. And we do want to help our uh, restaurants as much as possible during this time. And spring activations are going to be activated. We're talking night lights, ice sculptures, yarn bombs, all sorts of fun and interesting installations are happening all around the city. All that and more will be on the site. And then as I always remind you, uh, to please support our restaurants and small retail, um, it's so important. Uh, Dine Your Way DC is a new initiative that is put out by the mayor's office. I'm a partner in that. Uh, and it's doing everything it can uh, to keep people's eyes on area restaurants so that you go in and spend whatever dollars you do have there to keep these businesses that are so important to our neighborhoods and to our lives up and running. So please check that all out. Now, um, as many of you know, I really like to get super duper wonky and dig in deep on the workings on the front of the house, on the back of the house, all around the house, uh, when it comes to the restaurant industry. And this last year, I mean, has really taken a toll. It's something we talk about on the show all the time. But what's really interesting is what food tech um, was doing sort of before the pandemic, but how it's, it's become so necessary and important after the pandemic. So now later in the show, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole with Bo Davis, who's a former restaurateur, but co-founder of Margins Edge. And he brought with him uh, Tony Stafford, who owns Three Fords Fish Shack. We're going to talk about sort of real food tech and how it is helping restaurants uh, succeed in the time of the pandemic because it's all about the data. So we'll go on a data discovery mission together. But first, cherry blossom blooms are bursting soon, and that means Cherry Blossom Festival. Every year, we all look forward to it. Maybe we don't look forward to the tourists, and maybe they won't be here as much this year, 
but the festivities do continue. And joining me today, I'm very excited, is a real fun DC's own Tommy McFly, and he's going to walk us through all the fabulousness that's happening. So, hey, Tommy. Hey, Nikki and Ellis. We have a full tracker system of Pink Bloom, and right now, comma, we're not sure. Because it was 70 degrees the other day, it might be 40 degrees the next day. It's that moving target we always experience, but cherry blossom season is always a blast here in town. I'm so and, excited to talk about it with you. And all I can say is as long as it comes before those cicadas come, because I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to quarantine myself again, because I'm not, I no, I'm just, that's a no. I'm not dealing with those cicadas. That's a problem for me. Um, I want to, so we'll talk about Cherry Blossom in a second, but in this morning or earlier this week on the uh, Tommy and Kelly show here on Real Fun DC, we were talking about the chefs that are going to start making cicadas in meals. How do we feel about this? Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel. They can all go screw themselves. I, I want nothing <laughs> to do with that. That's the most disgusting thing ever. I don't, they are, I live in suburbia. I remember it 17 years ago. I have PTSD from it. Like I, I, I have to take a, I'm going to have to take a Xanax just talking about it. It's so upsetting. So let's move on. I already know they're going to cook them up and do whatever. Good. Go ahead. It's, it's gimmicky. Have at it. I am going to lock myself in a room with my Xanax for a month while those things fly around and hit me in the head. Like I can't even. So <laughs> cherry blossoms. So much more exciting. Yes, yes. We've got a lot going on, too. Um, this is really cool because, obviously, you can't have the millions of folks downtown. We're not going to see a lot of tourists come. So the National Cherry Blossom Festival has done a lot to make it accessible and virtual no matter where you are. And uh, one thing that's really cool that we're helping out with this year is the Paws and Pets, the Petal Parade. So normally, Mars Pet Care has a big activation where, obviously, the pet contingent at the Cherry Blossom Festival is huge, right? Who doesn't want to get a photo with their dog? With the cherry blossoms in the background or just like people out for a walk so we are working on the first ever virtual pet parade where people can because you might have heard of this nikki people with dogs like taking photos and videos of their dogs yeah. so everyone's pretty well trained um to record a virtual uh, a vertical video of your dog walking left to right so you set up the selfie set it up vertical record left to right a couple walks a couple struts mutt struts if you will and go to uh, nationalcherryblossomfestival.org slash pet parade. You upload it there. We're going to stitch them all together and have a really fun virtual pet parade on April 3rd. I think that's such an amazing idea. I love that. And it's so easy for people to participate in it and get their mm -hmm. dogs in it. So are you recommending that people like dress up their dogs or do anything else or just, just take the video? Oh, totally. I guess it depends on how like tolerant your dog is of that kind of stuff. Um, like my dog, Kotak and Mr. Troy, um, we actually went down to the Tidal Basin to the Washington Monument and shot the videos like by there. And they were cool with that, the walking back and forth, but they were having nothing of the costumes. So I was like, you know, we, we at least got a nice backdrop. So that'll, that'll work. But then we've gotten some videos of like German Shepherds and like full pink boas. So it's everything and anything in between. I, I mean, I know you've got dogs, Nikki. Can your dogs get involved in this? I'm going to get my dogs involved with it. I have an older dog. She will tolerate only so much. And I have a puppy who is a royal pain in the tush. Uh, and I will torture her. So she tortures me. I will torture <laughs> her back. That is how it goes. So I'm totally going to do that. And I really do advise that everybody else get involved because it's so much fun. And why not? Um, let's talk about the other festivities because you're really involved with the Pink Todd Festival, right? 
Yes, we are. And one more thing on the pink tie, um, one more thing on the pedal parade. I'm not sure I'm allowed to tell you this, which I love coming to your show and telling you things I'm not sure I'm allowed to tell you. Um, the producers of the national broadcast of the Cherry Blossom Festival this year have asked us how the entries are going. So I'm not saying your dog is going to get on national television, but I'm not saying your dog's not going to get on national television if you go to nationalcherryblossomfestival.org slash pet parade. And Nikki, I, I think you're on mute because I think your dogs are barking. So let, 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 let's hear it. They should be a guest for this segment. They want to hear it. I don't want you to hear it. I don't want you to hear the dogs barking. It's annoying to me. I don't think it's fair that I should annoy everybody else, but I appreciate that. Um, okay, so Tommy, let's talk about the Pink Tie Festival, Pink Tie Party. Let's hear it. Yeah, so excited. This is normally a huge event that happens at the Reagan Building um, where we come together. There's a big celebration from the Embassy of Japan, and there's a bunch of food tastings. And so this year they were trying to figure out how do we recalibrate that, right? As everyone's like pivoted and done all the words, I'm not gonna say. because Kelly hosted every year, right? Um, so last year we were supposed to be the, well, we were the co-chairs of the event and then it didn't happen. But this year we're co-chairing again. And yes, we're hosting uh, this year too, which is a cool way to reimagine. So the goal of the Pink Tie Party, instead of selling tickets and trying to get everyone to come to a big ballroom, we are trying to um, inspire more than a thousand meals from DC, Maryland, Virginia restaurants, either takeout, delivery, or eat in on that night. It's going to be Friday, March 26th. And um, we encourage you to go to their website, uh, nationalcherryblossomfestival.org slash pink tie party. And um, you, you can use their Eventbrite portal and you can sign up and buy from awesome, awesome eateries all around the region. The whole Kelly and I are going to is to order through the portal, right? So that the restaurant, so that that it's through the Cherry Blossom Festival. Yeah, the hope is to order through the portal. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just about people getting out there and supporting restaurants mm -hmm. um, because this year it looks so different. And this year we just want people to get out there and support their favorite restaurant. There is a huge list of restaurants that is on uh, the Cherry Blossom website, but maybe your favorite neighborhood spots not and you want to support them as long as you're like in the theme of it and, and making it happen. Um, and then there's going to be some really fun uh, programming. So Lindsay Sterling, who's the violinist, um, who is just awesome. She's going to perform that night on a virtual event. Kelly and I are hosting actually a live stream. And this is really fun. So we have um, taken over Peacock Cafe in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And we're going to broadcast um, the live stream from there. With a couple tables, I think people are people are res reserving their tables, you know, at, at a social distance with all the mayor's protocols. But that'll be fun to have, you know, a little bit of patio, a little bit of indoor activity and excitement as we're live from Peacock Cafe. And then we're going to be tossing it around to chefs and to other, you know, food um, institutions throughout the city on that night. So it's really cool. Uh, it sounds like an amazing evening so i am very much looking forward to it i've always loved the pink tie party so i cannot wait and i love you know you guys really got so creative uh, the cherry blossom festival in general got really creative to find interesting ways to get people to celebrate what's happening um you know it's a it's an annual ritual mm -hmm. so um we all want to celebrate and last year it was kind of taken away from us you know yeah. I don't, we weren't even allowed outside. So um, this year we can all really celebrate. Just wear your mask. But um, I, I love that. Um, I love what you're doing with the dogs. I love the pink tie party. Like There's so many different ways to participate. And of course, the restaurants always do their cherry picks, which is always fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fun drinks, fun dishes. Um, I know there's no cherries in cherry blossoms, but I think people 
just seem to miss the point. It's just about celebrating something fun, right? Yep, and opening up the spring. And I, I thought what was really cool that the Cherry Blossom, uh, what the organizers did, that, you know, Pink Tie Party is a fundraiser for them too, to, to raise money for all they're doing, you know, on the National Mall and with the cherry trees. But it's bigger than that this year because it's about supporting our neighbors and supporting restaurants. And so instead of it being a big fundraiser for them, which, I mean, they still have sponsors and that sort of thing, but they're encouraging people to pay it forward and to go out and to support restaurants, which I think is, is really cool um, on their part to be doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's just great. And, you know, hopefully a year from now, we'll be like, oh, my God, we're in such a different place. I mean, so fingers crossed. We all see that light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, Tommy, just tell everybody where they can find all this information once again. Um, it sounds like so much fun. I can't wait to participate. Uh, give them the, the web links. So nationalcherryblossomfestival.org is where you can find information about the pet parade and about Pink Tie Party. Um, we need your pet parade entries, your mutt strut, I can't wait to see yours, Nikki, by mm -hmm. March 23rd, and then um, the Cherry Blossom Pink Tie Party, the virtual experience across all those restaurants is going to be Friday, March 26th. That's the day of action that we're trying to get a thousand plus meals uh, around DC area restaurants. Excellent. All right, Tommy McFly, Real Fun DC. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, this is Nikki Nellis on uh, Industry Night, Real Fun DC. I'm going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to get wonky and talk about some real food tech in the restaurant industry. Be back in a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Don't forget to check out everything Tommy McFly just talked about with the Ch Cherry Blossom Festival. So many exciting things are happening. And just because we can't enjoy it as we normally do doesn't mean we should enjoy it. Okay, so as I said at the beginning of the show, um, I love digging down deep into the business of the restaurant industry. You know, it's one thing to go into a restaurant and sit down and dine or order out um, and, and have their food. But there is so much going on there. And um, I, I love the mechanisms of the industry, which is probably why I'm one of the people who covers it. And with this pandemic this year, everything changed. I mean, over the last year, every single show I've had, not just on Foodie and the Beast, but also here on Industry Night, has been people talking about their pandemic experiences, their pandemic pivots, their swivels, whatever you want to call it. But everybody's had to find ways to function, to not just survive, but thrive. And so with me today, I'm very excited because um, Bo Davis joined me on Foodie and the Beast a couple of weeks ago, where we barely scratched the surface of Margin Edge, which is his business. And I'm not even going to bother explaining it. I'm going to let Bo get into it. But Bo used to be in the restaurant industry. And then he- I, Actually, sorry to correct you, Nikki. Still am. Still have a restaurant. Oh, you do still have a restaurant. <laughs> oh, my God. My- my apologies. So what restaurant do you still own? Wasabi. So it's the same concept I've had for years. We have a restaurant at Tyson's Corner. It's uh -huh. now 11 years old and it survived the pandemic and uh, and is there. And I hope people come by and see it. Wasabi is the sushi restaurant with the, what's it called? A the conveyor belt. It's Kai Ken yeah. is the Japanese term, but it's conveyor belt sushi joint in Tyson's Mall. Right. Okay. 
Well, I did not know you still had your fingers in that pot, so thank you for correcting me. So, but why get into food tech? What was it about what you were doing with restaurants that you were like, we need this? Yeah, it's a little bit of a funny story. So um, I was in technology before and in 2005 went into the restaurant industry. So I was living in London, made friends with a couple of gentlemen that wanted to go into a business. We really liked a restaurant in London that we kept eating at. And so we ended up hiring the chef and bringing him to DC and opened our first place in 2005 at 17th and K. Um, and it was a lawyer, a banker and a tech entrepreneur. And none of us had ever operated or worked in a restaurant in our lives. And we proceeded to make every mistake possible. Tony's probably shaking his head in, right. in for us. Um, amateur, uh, amateur. Yeah, exactly. So we made every mistake that could be made, but we went on to open uh, a dozen restaurants over 10 years all over the country, California, Texas, Florida, Boston, um, some good, some bad. And, um, and during that time, we always wanted to open a lot of restaurants. So we built this um, we came up with this process where overseas we did all of our accounting and uh, um, basically came up with a process to try to think, make things more efficient. And fast forward to 2013, I actually met an old friend of Tony's, uh, Roy Phillips, who had been in the Outback Steakhouse group for a long time, since the early 90s. And Roy came on to help me with Wasabi and pretty quickly realized that the processes we were doing um, overseas were actually more interesting, frankly, than just the restaurants that we were doing. And so over the next couple of years, we put together some ideas and a team and, and started Margin Edge in 2015 and really, you know, started from scratch with, with new code and um, built a new product that was designed to help restaurants operate their back of house ground up. And we, we started slowly. We took two or three years to really build out the product to make it robust. And uh, Tony was very kind. It was one of our early clients and came on. I think Tony was in our first 15 or 20 clients uh, back in 2016. And, you know, people like him that had patients who were very strong operators and were friends. And so were willing to be a little patient with us, uh, helped us work through the kinks and build something that was really quite robust. And so, uh, well, we so but we're not really talking about what it is. So oh. the lay person. Yeah. Uh, the person not in the restaurant industry, but is interested in tech and, and interested in restaurants. What was the hole you were filling? What was the. Yeah. Need? So basically, restaurants buy, you know, like Wasabi buys about 700 items. Tony's Place probably buys closer to 1,200 items, right? Everything yeah. from napkins to beer to fish to oysters, whatever it is, right? All these items. And so all of those items have variable prices. And as you know, we have variable sales every day, right? And so what Margin Edge does is it captures the daily purchases of the restaurants down to the item level, how many avocados, how many oysters, how many whatever. And we tie into the point of sale system. So we capture sales data every night. So literally every day we know everything the restaurant bought and everything the restaurant sold. And so we can give operators a real time view on their variable costs and revenue. For people who have operated restaurants, they know that like looking backwards in time at last month's PL is a useless exercise. That month is gone. I need to right. know what's happening now. Right. Um, and that's what Margin Edge is all about, is about giving a live view of your restaurant's costs and, and operating. And it's everything from inventory to recipes to order guides, everything back to house. So it breaks everything down. Because I think one of the things, like if you're not in the restaurant industry, you know, when you order and you go in and you look at the menu and you look at a dish, you know, and you're like, okay, so the chicken is $25. A really good restaurant doesn't just 
come up with a number and say, let's charge $25. I mean, there's lots of, there's an algorithm. No, no, Tony, you're a master at this. Do you want to talk about menu pricing? Yeah, come on, Tony, let's let Tony, Tony, get into menu pricing. Let's just, could you give everybody your 411, please? Yeah, no, my name is Tony Stafford and I have three restaurants in Loudoun County, Virginia. Um, so we are a New England fish shack. Uh, so we can get anything from fresh oysters on the half shell to um, fish and chips to fresh fish of the day to even steaks and hamburgers. So like Bo said, as a restaurateur uh, and been doing this for a long time, we, we purchase a lot of things on a weekly, daily, uh, even hourly basis. And so what Bo has been able to create with his program, Margin Edge, is a to almost um, to not use the word systematize, but to use the word systematize, but be able to help us systematize. And as restaurateurs, we need this systemization to uh, control our cost and control our pricing. Because in the restaurants, especially now with QR codes, we can change the price of items daily, the price of menu items daily, where before you had to reprint menus. But now with QRs and you're pulling them up on your phone, if during the, during the Super Bowl season, chicken wings always spike up because everyone buys chicken wings. So a lot of operators who sell a lot of chicken wings used to just kind of have to accept that that month of January that the chicken wing price was going to go way up and they weren't going to make a lot of profit on chicken wings because the profit would be lost or the expense would be just as much to reprint a thousand, 2000 menus. But now with QR codes, I could change menu prices daily, hourly if I want to. So for me as a restaurateur, what Bo's program has allowed me to do is keep track of all those pricing items, all those things that I, I buy on a daily basis and change that pricing because chicken fluctuates, chicken wings fluctuate 10, 20, 30 cents a pound, sometimes daily, you know, fish yeah. fluctuates. You right. know, I was say fish, and, and you know, Nikki, profit margins on restaurants are notoriously tight, right? And so a 10%, 20% swing on an item with a 30% cost, if your top line profit is 10%, you just lost more than half your profits. Right, right. Because right. the chicken price moved 20%, half your profits out the window, just like that. So, so that's really the core of what we do is simplifying that process and automating it in a way that restaurants can get that transparency. Well, and so with your collective data, so you, for the past year, like ha, let's talk a little bit about the past year for you and then Tony, sure. I'd like to get into it for you. So you guys had this plan, you had the food tech in place, you already had, you know, a thousand plus clients. Uh, utilizing it, but when the pandemic hit, were you like, oh? Yeah, so what's what's sort of interesting about where we were sitting when the pandemic hit is that we had about 1,500 restaurants that we were pulling live data from, right? So we knew their sales automatically. And when, when the pandemic first hit, as you remember, right around March 10th of last year is when we saw the dip begin, uh, it was a cliff. And so when you look at our charts and and for those who don't follow all the numbers in this in this uh, podcast, there, our website has all of this information on a blog post margin edge on, at marginedge.com. But but the plummet, that original plummet was 60% of all restaurant sales disappeared in 14 days. And for full service places like Tony and mine, it was an 84% drop in year over year sales. It was staggering. It's the equivalent of two and a half percent of GDP nationally disappeared in 14 days. No one's ever seen anything like it. And so those early days were just scary. There's right. no two ways around it. So now where you're, so, I mean, listen, the restaurant chores and chefs didn't have to guess what was happening because they knew the money wasn't coming in. But then what did your company do to 
help them? Or what, what could you provide for them that would be helpful? Because I'm looking at the report and all the data, you know, a year later, but what were you doing in real time before we get into the sort of data now? Sure. Yeah, there were two or three things. I mean, one thing in, in the first moments of it happening, the biggest thing was, I think, fear for everyone. No one, we all felt it in our individual restaurants and we all saw the news, but nobody really knew what was happening to everybody else. And so Within a day or two, we started publishing a daily report that went out and it actually quickly grew to something like 10,000 people who signed up for it. That was just literally a quick every morning. Here's what fast casual looks like. Here's what full service looks like. Here's what it looks like regionally. So people got a sense of where they stood versus other people, which we got back an enormous amount of comments about how um, emotionally important that was for people to just have a sense of where they stood. I mean, you remember, it was genuinely scary. We, we all look back on it now and know that it was scary, but at the time we didn't know that it was gonna stop. It dropped 84%. That's damn close to a hundred, right? We don't know, we didn't know what was gonna happen next. And so, um, so we did that first. We did support with, you know, um, obviously a lot of restaurants uh, closed or stopped serving. And so we were able to help provide services without charging for a while. And, um, and we also did, we leaned into the PPP effort and that's a whole show on itself, but basically partnered with a bank and helped um, a number of restaurants that had a hard time finding a bank to do a loan. I don't know if you remember, but it was crazy there for a minute. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, we helped a lot of people get those transactions done. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, quite frankly, but, you know, there's sort of this, you know, false understanding that, you know, any restaurateur or chef can navigate, you know, has the skills to navigate, you know, the bureaucracy of, of getting the PPP. I'll, I'll tell you this, Nikki, we all do That's now. All. There's not a restaurateur standing today that can't navigate that stuff because there it ended up being really, really significant stimulus from the government. And, uh, and we have all figured that out, too. We, we right. had, we've had to, right? Those that have survived and it has been super meaningful. So it was stressful, no doubt at first, but the amount of money in that first PPP and obviously the second one, we wanted to come earlier, but still the fact that it came, you know, I, I know, I know Tony agrees with me. The government has done quite a bit at this point um, for restaurants and small businesses and this latest transactions, another meaningful one. So yeah, I mean, I'm not one to complain. It's, you know, the federal government had to roll out a new program in the middle of a pandemic that had never been done when the SBA wasn't even working in their offices. So I give them a lot of credit for getting it out the door. It was stressful, but it worked. Yeah, no, I, I don't throw shade at anybody uh, at all for any of that. Um, you know, I mean, we could, we could debate things that coulda, woulda, shouldas, but yeah. whatever, we're here. With the passing of the bill most recently, you know, I think there's going to, you know, what's in there now for restaurants um, is really going to be paramount and helpful. I think what's most important about that is that there's a real recognition, and I give the uh, IRC, the Independent Restaurant Council, um, you know, just a ton of credit because they push like nobody's business. Yeah, no, they, on, they, they lobbied very hard. No they problem. lobbied. I've had them on the show a thousand times. Uh, Kathy Hollinger from the Restaurant Association yeah. of Metropolitan Washington. She it's comes great. on this show every other week to yeah. give an update. And I mean, yeah. there are just there are just sort of these unsung heroes who really pushed to make sure that restaurants got the the money they needed, but also that we the people understood the industry, which is really why I have you both here today. So Tony, before we take a break, I do want to come to you. Can we just talk about how you did your business when this was all happening? Like, so we shut you, sh did you shut down? Were you already doing takeaway? How did you, what did you do and how did you do it? 
Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. We were a casual theme, full service restaurant and, and 97 for 95% of our business was dine in traditionally with a sit down at the bar, sit down at a table and have a, a server come over and, and, and greet you and, and take your order and go in the kitchen and cook it and come back. Now it's about 50, 50, meaning about 50% of our business is dine in and 50% is, is takeout. So Loudoun County residents have been very, very supportive of restaurants out here, especially independent restaurants. Uh, but you know, we've had to do a, a switch and who would have thought people would eat lobster and oysters out of to-go boxes, but they are and they're recognizing that, hey, we can have just as good a meal at home in front of our fireplace or while our kids are you know, Zooming uh, their, their classes and eat great food. So that's been great and that's been a savior for us. But we went from you know, open March 14th, uh, March 13th, March 14th to literally shut down just doing, doing delivery. And it was, it was about, it was literally a, a cliff we dropped off. We went from doing you know, our rev normal revenue to doing about 20% of our normal revenue. We had to build it back shift by shift, day by day. And we got it back, um, summer, I shouldn't say we got it all back. We, we got back to a good point uh, in the spring and summer, late summer and, and early fall, and then come winter, they, they stricted us again and we kind of lost a lot of the ground we made up and we're still trailing about 30% down um, of what we were doing in 2019, pre uh, 2020 pre-COVID times, which of that 30% down, uh, that is 100% of our profit. In a restaurant, was, as Bo said, with, with tight profit margins already, if you're 30% down, chances are you're not making money but the, the federal government has stepped in and helped us and supported a lot of restaurants and kept them from having to close so mm -hmm. um, you know we've been blessed with that but takeout has been a big savior for a lot of us who never thought we would be takeout restaurants well yeah. i think what's interesting to that um but i'll give you a second in just a minute but i think what's interesting to that i think what a lot of restaurants found was that they could do takeaway now, early on, like, especially in May, I had conversations with, you know, some more like high end restaurants and they were like, my food is supposed to be eaten here in my restaurant. You know what I mean? Like I played it, blah, 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 tweezers, et cetera. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I hear you spent a lot on architecture. It looks nice in there. <laughs> right. Like I want them here. And I, I had multiple conversations, not on air, fortunately for them, where they just didn't want to do it because it wasn't what they wanted to do, but they realized that they had no point. And now that so many of them have found that they can do it, it will be down the line, a future revenue stream. Do you know what I mean? Like it won't take away from your business. It will be an addition to your business. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. This is Nikki Nellis, Industry Night. I'm going down the wonkiest rabbit hole here. Uh, we'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest and greatest happening around the DC metro area. So as you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked with Tommy McFly all about the Cherry Blossom Festival, Paws Petal Parade. It's very important to Tommy. He wants to see your dogs in Paws and Petals. So please send in your videos for that. But on with me right now is uh, Bo Davis and Tony Stafford. Bo Davis uh, is a restaurateur. I was wrong in the beginning of the show. He is a restaurateur and he is behind Margin Edge. And uh, Tony Stafford has multiple locations of uh, Ford's Fish Shacks. And um, 
they're both talking today about their experience with the pandemic. But uh, Margin Edge is this fabulous uh, food technology that uh, Tony actually uses. And they have this massive report of all the data from the um, past year. So, Tony, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Bo, I feel like we were talking about the delivery pivot with Tony. Yeah, um, I was just going to throw in some numbers on that because you said my job is to be the wonky one. So I was going to throw in some metrics, which is, you know. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, the restaurants in our sample size, again, it was, it's just under 2,000 now, they had 7% uh, on average delivery, right? And that's across, you know, geographies. And we saw that go up to close to 40% during COVID. And so it became a huge necessary part of their business. What's interesting, though, is like as sales started to recover and the, the um, fall started to get better and the average restaurant was down 25% instead of worse earlier in the year, delivery went the other way, right? So delivery went back down to 13 or 14%. Huh. It spiked again a bit over the winter, but is now trending back to 13. So that gets to the point that you said, Nikki, about there's probably a permanent addition in revenue from this sort, this source, uh -huh. um, but I don't think it's going to be the 30% we saw, you know, at one point. Like that's, I don't know that that's sustainable for full service restaurants, but um, but certainly it'll be an additional piece. Well, I don't know if they have the kitchen space to keep that. Well, that's what I mean. And if you're running a full service place at the same time, it's very hard to do that. But no, unless you just have like you know not a ghost kitchen, um, which is a highly overused term, just like pivot. Um, but uh, you know, if you have a small menu, you know, a couple of items for delivery, if you want to keep that up on third party things and you, you find you can make a couple dollars off of it, you know, going forward. But I think you bring up a good point though, because outdoor dining also changes everything, right? And given the parklets and the ability, uh, Tony, you could probably speak to this too, selling of alcohol and, and all the law changes also change the dynamic of your sales. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the state of Virginia just passed, um, they're going to pass um, legislation to leave uh, to go drinks to go cocktails uh, legal for the next two years. And I believe 34 states have also got it on their legislation to leave it on their books, too. So this opens up a Pandora's box for, you know, the, the ability to, you know, create not these, you know, these dinner for twos, dinner for fours, however, these family meals, but they include bottles of wine, you know, crafts of sangria and things like that. So as a restaurateur, we're looking at ways to kind of use this to dish, create additional revenue streams. So, you know, capture that as a restaurant. That's a big change for Virginia. We were Absolutely. very traditional. I mean, they, they used to walk into my little place with a handgun and they were not, <laughs> they, uh, the, the ABC is. Are you kidding? Uh, 15 years ago, somebody was making beer popsicles, a neighborhood restaurant group uh, at Rustico. They were doing beer popsicles and they shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't enough alcohol in there to like clean off glass. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. no, they shut it down. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in this report, this report is so comprehensive, Bo. What were some of the like, what would you say are some of the biggest things that you found within the report that are is helpful to restaurants like going forward, like what they can take away from it? Well, I mean, I think what what was really interesting to me with COVID and its impact is that a lot of what we found is were trends that were happening before COVID, but got radically accelerated, right? So like delivery was trending up pre-COVID. Fast casual was trending up faster than full service for years before 
COVID, right? Like year over year, full service restaurants would be up one to 3% and fast casual would be up five to 6%, right? The if, market... I inter- if I can interject on that, sure. I think what a lot of restaurateurs and chefs figured out is that they have their passion project that can only make so much money, right? Like you want that Michelin star, fine dining restaurant, upscale casual. There is a cap, unless you're Steven Starr and the diplomat with the magic, right. but you know, there is a cap to how much money you can make. But if you got your fast casual, the Taco Bombas, the Chicas, yeah. those churn and make money. Well, I think that's true. And I think it's also true that the the, the younger the uh, demographic, the more likely they are to want that, right? We just, we're seeing the buyers moving in the direction of fast casual. And so, you know, that trend and the delivery trend and the third party trend were all happening at a slower, at a slow pace prior to COVID. And then it was like, wow, full service, particularly urban full service, right? Just got clobbered. The people downtown, our clients, God bless them in New York City, you know, the full service fancy in you know trendy trendy hotels i mean just clobbered and if you look at the full the fast casual folks they actually recovered pretty quickly and they're even in a lot of places now up year over year and so you know the new york full service fine dining they're still got a ways to go they're still down 35 percent, which in the restaurant industry is a nightmare so anyway so the, the bigger bro- the point there is that i think the longer term trends got dramatically accelerated. I think we're going to see a reversion closer to the mean, right? That's going to come back. We will have fine dining in New York, but that that long term trend did accelerate. So those those fast casual dine, uh, delivery, third party delivery, those are going to stay here for forever. And what do you think? Like you know, like for me, the hol- like every day's restaurants, every day's a holiday, right? So there's, you know, every day's St. Patrick's Day, every day's Easter, every day's Labor Day, because, you know, you could do special menus and people would perk up and, and order. Um, how did you see, what was sort of the, the numbers behind that? Yeah, it's funny. We did see a lot of substantial spikes and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a psychologist. So I can't tell exactly what people were thinking, but it definitely feels like, you know, uh, consumers were afraid to go out and afraid to go to restaurants, it was New Year's Eve or but it was Labor Day or but it was like these these holidays and you really do see it in the numbers like just abnormal spikes like we normally get busier at those times but I think people's COVID nervousness got a little relaxed around the big holidays hopefully that massive spike is starting to go away as the business is coming back and we just see the regular spikes from those holidays but um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, we haven't talked about going forward, but I, I am super optimistic and I know Tony is the same that, that with the amount of shots that are out and, uh, the market opening back up, we're going to see restaurants back up year over year here shortly. And I've spoken to a lot of restaurateurs who are lease shopping and people are looking at new locations. It's, um, there's actually a lot of optimism on the back half of this year. I totally agree with you. I mean, the light is at the end of the tunnel. And it's not that far anymore. I mean, it's, uh, we can see it. Right. We can see it. In fact, Plus, I think, you know, the sun is shining, the cherry blossoms are coming. Uh, you know, being outdoors makes everybody feel safe in and of itself. Do you know what I mean? Okay. We're not on lockdown like a year ago. Um, and I think we've all found ways to, and especially in this region where not everybody, but a lot of people are on the same page. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're masked and not really fighting it. Uh, you know, everybody sort of understands. Hopefully more people will be vaccinated. And, res- uh, you know, I would like to see for DC, Virginia, and Maryland, that those in the restaurant industry get, and grocery stores and small retail, the people who are who have yeah. been there and haven't left, uh, not just because my son works for a restaurant, but you know, and my daughter, <laughs> but uh, you know, I want them, I want them vaccinated. So uh, I think it's a fair thing to ask for. As far 
as regionally, based on your clients, um, what did you see around the country, Bo, um, as far as how things did, was it more in one area, like, yeah, I don't ever shut down or when it, you know, it shut down for a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the specific charts are on our site and I would encourage people to look at it, but basically what we saw was more urban versus suburban and um, as an impact over geography. So first it was more about, you know, downtown DC, downtown New York, right? The, the, the cities got hurt badly. And I think largely because the CBD shut down, right? People stopped going into the offices. So in addition to the normal not eating out, you had people, you had ghost towns. So the urban markets got. Lunch. You had no lunch. You had no breakfast. You didn't have dinner. You didn't have anything. There's, I mean, you, you know, you know, DC has been a, and it still is largely a ghost town downtown um, in the CBD. And so, um, uh, so I think the urban part we saw got hurt the worst. And right behind that, yes, the geography. So um, honestly, it followed temperature. So Florida, Texas were uh, not hit as bad. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from it. They got hit hard too. Everybody was down substantially for a while. But I think it, particularly in the second wave, they didn't get it as badly. Um, and, and in the Northeast, they just got clobbered. I think DC, uh, and sometimes it's a Southern city, sometimes it's a Northern city. When you look at these numbers, it was a Northern city. It got clobbered with you know, New York and Philly and Boston. All right, well, let's crystal ball it a little bit. Uh, Tony, what do you see for you going forward? Like, how do you see your restaurants Moving forward, what will, what will be your lessons learned from this experience and how will you apply it moving forward? You know, I, I'm I, just like Bo and a lot of restaurateurs, we're very optimistic we're going to have a great spring and summer. Um, but we're looking at other revenue streams um, to protect ourselves in the future rather than just on um, dine-in guests. You know, the carryout's a big one, but maybe mail order. Maybe we do a great pumpkin cheesecake. And last year we sold 400 of them to local businesses, maybe that's something we can start shipping out internationally or nationally. Um, you know, lobster roll kits, those kind of things were very popular. Now, even our food truck, we take our food truck out to different neighborhoods and we had our food truck out last night and it did more revenue on the food truck than it did in one of my locations. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, to that point, neighborhood drops, we haven't discussed yeah. that at all. They're, they're huge right now. I host them in my neighborhood once a month. I bring in an area of rest. I don't bring in a a restaurant that's right in my area because you could go to that restaurant but yeah. i bring in you know somebody from downtown or somebody from anywhere and i've been doing that once a month here and you know it's 60 or 70 orders so yeah, that's awesome you yeah know. that's what that's what we do and that's what we see the hoas want to come in and see other restaurants and see other restaurants that are maybe not within driving distance and it's been very successful for us so i would encourage all restaurateurs to take a look at that and you can do it with a van and, and hot boxes or you can do it with a food truck so anyone can do it no i think that's um that's a very good advice uh and a, a definite extra revenue stream because if you think about especially summertime um people do want to be outside and people can say to their neighbors as i do come gather in front of my house, get your, you know, people chat and pick up their bags and then go home and eat, but you can do more with it. It, it, it allows for other ways for people to commune, commune together, uh, but it's a great revenue stream for restaurants. Um, but what do you see going forward? I, I mean, I don't want to go down another path because you keep talking about restaurants, you know, looking forward and looking at new spaces. To me, I, one of the conversations that I just don't hear enough about is real estate and, uh, the outrageous numbers that are out there. And I think there was a brief moment where people thought, well, maybe the numbers will come down a bit. Um, Cause you know, you look at Penn Quarter, those people aren't 
half those offices are not going to be refilled, right? Um, and you got all this building down in DC, but the uh, square footage is still the same. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, but what what landlords are doing, at, at least from what I've seen, are re a ton of concessions. So the the square foot rate they is the last thing they want to give ground on, but they're doing TI and free rent periods, and so you can get pretty aggressive deals where the headline square foot number is still what it used to be, but there's a lot of juice in it to help uh, help get going. Because I just find like that 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 piece of the conversation seems to be missing a little bit because it's so bloated at this point you know what they're asking at some of these places and real estate is yeah i mean that's that is one of the hardest parts about the whole restaurant business it's you know operating it's bad enough but but site selection and negotiating and trying to get the right location which everyone knows is critical and they're never cheap so yeah well tell me your crystal ball what do you see going forward based on your year of data yeah, I mean, we're already seeing the numbers recovering substantially from where they were January, February. I mean, you can see it almost on a daily basis at this point. And so I think I think we're seeing the numbers come back more quickly in the south than in the north, but they're still headed back up in the north. Personally, I don't think we're more than 30 or 45 days from year over year numbers that are feeding two years back. It's going to be easy to beat last year as of next week, but no one's going to care anymore, right? Two years back, we should be beating, I think, in as little as 45 days. Which would be, because um, I'll be honest with you, I think for a lot of people, February 2020, like if I look back at my February 2020, 2020 was going to be a banner year. Yeah. You know, I had contracts left, right, and sideways. I had, yeah. you know, travel. And I, I mean, my business was booming. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in the industry who are in the same place who are like, no, 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 I'm supposed to open this and I'm supposed to do that yeah. and blah, blah, but blah. So, Did you I mean, I get back to that. Yeah, I just read this morning in The Economist $1.6 trillion in additional savings from consumers occurred in the last 12 months versus what would have been expected in a traditional year because people literally couldn't spend the money. Now, a lot of people have been hurt, but a lot of people kept their jobs and just didn't have the ability to go out and do the things they did before. And so right. I think there are a lot of macroeconomists, macro macroeconomists, sorry, who uh, are predicting uh, a banner year in our in the U.S. GDP, and um, and I am I am super bullish. I I think the combination of what the Fed has done, not to get super wonky, but the combination of what the Fed has done, what the quantitative easing easing with the Fed and with the stimulus from the uh, federal government, not just with restaurants but broadly, I I think we're gonna have an amazing year. I think it's gonna start being a little inflationary, but we can talk about that separately. That'll be that, a could, nice be, that could be another show. Well, I mean yeah. from. Not to be too uh, mommy-ish, but from your lips to God's ears, I mean, I hope that that is the future for uh, not just our industry, but also uh, large retail, small retail. I mean, er yeah. everybody should succeed. Um, but I do hope that the um, I do hope that this last year, you know, that we don't lose sight of the small restaurants, the independently owned restaurants, the independently owned small retail. You know, it, it is so easy to click, click, click and order on Amazon, but um, there's so many great stores and we want to walk around our neighborhoods, right? That's we want right. to walk around our neighborhoods or walk around DC and we, and we don't want to just walk and see boarded up spaces. We want to go that's in cool. and shop and look and touch and do whatever. So I, I do hope that that's our future and I hope it's our future sooner rather than later. So uh, Tony, before we wrap up, if you could tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find all your restaurants and find you online. Thank you, Nikki. Um, yeah, so we're in Loudoun County. Um, we're in Ashburn, original restaurants in Ashburn. 
uh, Lansdowne and South Riding. And we have a food truck also. If you want to book our food truck for your neighborhood, we go all over. We were in Alexandria last week, Arlington. We're in Warrington tonight. So if you want our book for food truck for that, go to FordsFishShack.com, drop me an email. Uh, but come out for dollar oysters on Monday and great lobster rolls and great fish and chips. So thank you. Seafood is delicious. And Tony is modest. He's been killing it there for years. So you should definitely go check it out. Great. Okay. And Bo, people who want your info uh, and want more on this, because you're, we've barely scratched the surface on this major report. Um, but I think we got to some of the very key points. Uh, where can people find this information? And if they're in the industry and are interested in utilizing the product, uh, how do they do that? Yeah, margin And there's a blog post with all of this information. And then um, if you even whether you're in the industry or not, you can sign up for an email, we send a weekly email with these sales data updates. So you can see what's happening around the country live and um, relatively live once a week. And then certainly anybody in the restaurant industry, we'd love to hear from you. Again, thanks so much, Bo and Tony, for joining us. Um, I do love going down the rabbit hole and having a better understanding of what it takes for restaurants to work. And this last year, those numbers were so important to each and every restaurant to understand where every penny they went was going and when it wasn't coming into them. So um, I want to thank you again for joining me today on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Couple little last bit housekeeping notes. Don't forget to check the list, areyouonit.com, our online e-zine that lists everything going on in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene, including all your St. Patrick's fun, Passover, Easter, new openings, restaurants coming soon, and of course, daily events, which are happening and are going to start exploding, according to Bo Davis, very soon. Uh, and of course, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Lastly, hear me every Sunday with my husband, David, on Foodie and the Beast. We just celebrated 12 years on air. That's 1500 AM, 11 AM on uh, uh, WFED. So thank you again for joining me. Please, even though we are almost at the end here. You still need to mask up, still dip your bods in hand sanitizer, socially distance, and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.